So the anniversary of September 11th was just a couple days ago, and 19 years, man, 19 years have gone by. I was unlucky enough to lose someone on that terrible day. He worked in the World Trade Center, and it got me thinking, this anniversary got me thinking about death and how we talk about death. And I want to share with you the story of what happened to me on that day and how I think we should change the way we speak about death. Let's get into it. So September 11th is obviously a day that everyone, if you were alive and, you know, not a baby or a child, you remember it and where you were, how you saw, you know, the news, whether you somebody told you, whether you saw it on TV, everyone remembers. And, you know, the hashtag never forget is always interesting to me and I'm, I'm so grateful that that is something that people have united on and when you lose somebody in a national tragedy it is a very strange thing and I want to tell you why it's strange and I, I want to share the story of my dear friend Kenny who was killed that day murdered I always kind of go back and forth, both obviously, but it was murder on national television. And even how I talk about it, I think is something to, it, it gets me thinking because if you say to somebody, yeah, you know, I had a friend murdered, it's like shocking, it's jarring. Nobody likes to hear oh, murder because when you think of murder, it's like someone was shot, um, stabbed, whatever some kind of violent act on a solo person but that's what he was and all of those people on that day in the World Trade Center on flight 93 and at the Pentagon just everything it was murder and I don't like to mince words I can't say that I'm you know people always say ah you know I'm a straight shooter I tell it like it is yeah kinda I'm kind of a straight shooter, but I don't, it, a lot of times straight shooters are like blunt and they don't care who they hurt. I care deeply about hurting people and I don't want to. But at the same time, I think when it comes to speaking about death, we tiptoe around it as if that's a way to protect us from it. And everybody has their right to talk about it. You know, um, that's your choice. But I just wanted to at least toss out an option for you, you know, to, what is it they say? Uh, not a penny for your thoughts, but just to toss this out as a way of shifting how you may see and talk about death. So obviously we can all agree that death is painful, it's depressing, it's scary, it matters how it happens, you know, it matters who it is, it matters 
how you were told, all of that stuff. So I was thinking that I wanted to share the story and I've never talked about it publicly. And I'm a pretty public person for, <laughs> for good or bad. I am a public person and have been for many, many years. I, you know, worked as an actress. I worked in talk radio in Los Angeles. I had a sort of online radio podcast several years ago. And every year I post on my Facebook page a picture of Kenny, who died in the World Trade Center. And, you know, I just say, this is a person who was special to me and thank you for never forgetting. And I just want people to see a face so that they know this is, these are people, they're not just numbers. You know, they're not all firefighters, which God bless the firefighters, don't get me wrong. But there were just regular people who went to work that day who didn't go home. And I wanted to share the story because I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about certain things. And I think there's lessons and personal growth that are in tragedy for all of us. Inside the tragedy is a lesson. And if not for that lesson, what else is there? I mean, otherwise, it's just a loss. It's just pain. It's just suffering. And to me, whenever there's a death in my life, and there have been many, unfortunately, I've lost my brother, I lost my dad, all of my grandparents, you know, just this person, and I hate to even recall, recall him, this person, Kenny, I'm trying to sort of toggle back and forth with how much I give away about his personal life out of respect for his family. But just, you know, they know that my focus has always been on respecting his memory and sharing who he is, well, was, who he was to so many of us and who he is today. I, I can say that, who he is because he is in my heart and in my mind and in my spirit all the time. Almost 20 years later, I regularly think about Kenny. And so I'll, I'll start by sharing the story about what happened on September 11th. And then I want to kind of dive into just the topic of how people respond when people die. And even the language we use, like pass away. I have never used that term. You know, I think that if you're a, a grandpa and you're, you know, 98 years old and you die in your sleep, that's kind of passing away. It was very peaceful. And you're like, well, he was old. It was kind of to be expected. He had medical issues, so he passed away. I think that's okay. But when someone's murdered on national television, there was no passing. He died. He was killed. He was murdered. I don't say pass away because there was nothing sort of soft and sweet and end stage of life about it. He was 31 years old robbed of his entire future. So I'm going to share the story with you. I'll start from how I even met Kenny. So I, I had gone to college in Western Colorado, and then I transferred to Hofstra University on Long Island, Long Island, it was such a, a culture shock, I have to say, because I basically, even if you guys listen to the first episode, yes, I was born in New York and I lived there till I was nine, 
but I mostly grew up in Colorado. And I remember <laughs> when I first got to Long, Long Island, the accent was just so amazing to me. They would say, Jody, like, where are you from? You're from Colorado? I remember a girl said to me, um, where's Colorado? Is that like down by Kentucky? I'm like, what? <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, it's allergy season, so bear with me. There might be another sneeze or two. And I want this show to always be real life. I'm not going to cut it out and start editing. I mean, you know, I guess if I burp, I might do that, but you don't need to hear that. Uh, so, yeah, people said, where's, where's Colorado? Like, I understand not knowing which one of the square states Colorado is, but thinking it's a southern state, I'm like, okay, you might want to go back to geography class. I had girls say to me, were there like buffalo in your backyard? Like, did they have skyscrapers there? I'm like, yes, downtown Denver, look it up. It is a city. Like, it was a major culture shock. They told me I smiled too much. I was too trusting. I'm like too small town. I grew up in the suburbs of Denver. It's, you know, suburbs. It's not tiny podunk or backward. And it was always shocking to me. So I was not happy with my first semester at Hofstra University. It was so much of a culture shock and feeling lonely when you move to a new state, move to this big school. My first school in Western Colorado had, gosh, I think 2,000 kids, 3,000 kids, I can't remember. And Hofstra had 21,000. So it was a major difference. And I somehow, gosh, I don't even remember I met a guy named Kenny and it might have been through my roommate and he was a student there and I think he had gone there a year before I did and he was hilarious. He was working as a comedian on the side and I think he told me he had been somewhere where like Eddie Murphy had been on the stage too and I was like wow I was really impressed and honestly one of the funniest people I ever met. And uh, we just started hanging out and he kind of showed me the ropes and he was from Pennsylvania. So he was more of a East Coaster than I was and a lot more savvy. And we just had a blast. Well, eventually I remember one night we were just kind of sitting on this kind of grassy knoll, which whenever you say grassy knoll, it's like, oh gosh, Kennedy the Texas book school book suppository where you know Kennedy's Kennedy's shooter sat but yes it was a grassy knoll and uh or well I guess Kennedy's shooter was up in the Texas school book suppository I don't want people to write me and say no he wasn't on the grassy knoll the Zapruder film where they shot the video that guy was on the grassy knoll anyway so we were just relaxing out there and um it was you know in the evening and I remember he gave me a card and I'm like okay what is this and I opened up the card and I don't remember what was on the outside but basically inside was I have feelings for you I have a crush on you how do you feel and I was like uh you know how I'm sure we've all been in that place or most of us where somebody you think you're just friends with has a crush on you and you feel like instant guilt. I'm like, oh my God, I, 
don't feel that way. And you sort of are put on the spot and you have to break it to this person. And I don't remember what I said, but I was just kind of like, you know, I'm so sorry. I just see you as a friend and you're like, ah, so you feel so terrible. And I remember wondering, is my friendship ruined now? Like this is somebody who I trust and I enjoy and I feel safe with. But once somebody has feelings for the other person and the other person doesn't have those feelings, a lot of times those friendships go south. They go south very quickly. So I was, I remember being really worried about that, but we hung on and it was a little tense there for a bit, but we hung on to our friendship. And years later, like we both moved to Brooklyn and um, he lived in Brooklyn Heights. For those of you from New York, which is sort of on the edge of Brooklyn overlooking the East River where you can see Manhattan and I lived in Park Slope which was a little bit further inland I love Brooklyn I love Park Slope I love Brooklyn Heights beautiful beautiful brownstones if you ever get to travel there tree-lined streets vibrant energy beautiful and uh, we just remained friends and I had a boyfriend he had a girlfriend we would all like do dinners together and you know it was just a great friendship and it meant so much to me to have this long-term friendship. Eventually I went and visited, I think, I can't remember the order of things because this was almost 20 years ago. I went and visited where he was from in Pennsylvania where I had never been and tasted soft pretzels and Philly cheesesteaks, which are amazing. Like I tried to make that myself. You can't, you have to go to Philadelphia and have a Philly cheesesteak. I think it's the butter and all the fat and all the juices and the onions caramelized. Oh my gosh, my mouth is watering right now. And I met his mom and I met his brother and all of us kind of hung out. I had seen his brother many times. So it was just a great, he was like a really close friend. Well, years later, um, it always felt a little bit awkward, I would say, like uh, maybe there was a little feelings there, but eh, I just didn't think about it because we were both in relationships. Well, years later, I moved to um, Los Angeles, and even when I moved, he gave me like the sweetest goodbye. We took the ferry, the the Staten Island ferry. I'd never taken it. It was like, what do you want to do in New York that you've never done before, before you leave it? And I was like, yeah, let's take the ferry. And we kind of just went and said goodbye. And when I was living in LA, I think I'd been there several years, and eventually, I was single, he was single, he came out to visit, and I kind of saw him in a different light, and I was like, wow, I think there's something there. So long story short, we ended up dating for a very short time, and it just didn't really work. (laughs) You know those relationships where it's like, yeah, it's probably better we're friends, and it wasn't a neat and tidy ending, it was definitely a difficult ending and uh, feelings were hurt, there was confusion, and for a while we didn't even speak. I remember we had a big fight and that was, it was 1999. It was like right before the change of the millennium. And we had this big fight and stopped speaking. And uh, no, I take that back, I think. Yeah, no, that was it. And so 2000 goes by, we don't talk at all. 
And then 2001 happens, and in July, the end of July, so strange that it all happened this way, of 2001, he wrote me a card and he said, I miss our friendship, I want it back. You know, some, some very sweet, kind words, and I was like, oh my gosh, so do I. And, you know, everyone's busy, and I ended up, I think I called him in the beginning of September. It was two weeks, I know for sure. It was, I think, a Sunday, two weeks before September 11th. And we caught up, because when I knew him, when we were living in New York, strange coincidence, he was working in the Empire State Building. And I remember I visited his office, and I'm like, wow, you're on the 93rd floor, this is amazing. Like, being up in this New York skyscraper, like, you've made it. Like, he graduated from college, and he, you know, is this kid who kind of came from humble beginnings, and here he is, you know, a professional job, making a great living. Like, I was so proud of him. And uh, he, let's see, so, when we catch up in September of 2001, he says, yeah, I had, I, uh, oh, actually by then I already knew. He had transferred over to a different job because I had visited him in 99 in the World Trade Center. And I remember we had gone up there and he was like, this is where I work in the, on the 102nd floor. And I remember they were like gutting an entire floor of the Trade Center. And it was empty. You could see from one side to the next. Like I think it was east, west, and north. And then on the other side was like the elevator bank. So you could see this panoramic view. And for those people who were unlucky enough to not have ever been up in the World Trade Center or even a you know really tall skyscraper in New York City, the view was spectacular. You can see New Jersey, the rest of Manhattan, Long Island, Queens, Brooklyn, Bronx. I mean, it's stunning. The East River, the Hudson River, it's, it was really breathtaking. And you're looking down, you're like, whoa, we are up high. And it just takes my breath away thinking about what happened and those people who had to jump. But anyway, so... I literally remember thinking when I was looking out in the World Trade Center, wow, this is such a privilege to be here when it's empty. No walls, you know, nothing. And I mean, obviously out the exterior walls, but no interior walls. And you could see the piping and all of that and the, the electricity. And I remember, like I said, I was just like, this is such a privilege because the World Trade Center had a special, kind of a special place in my heart. Because if you lived in New York and you didn't grow up there, it was sort of a beacon of direction. If you're walking around on the streets and you're new and you're like, okay, wait, where am I? Which direction? You'd look up in the sky and if you saw the World Trade Center, you knew that was south and you knew which direction you were facing. It was almost like a mountain sort of like, here I am, look at me, I'm over here, just in case you're lost, I'm always here for you. And when I would take the train back home to Brooklyn from Manhattan, and there'd be a sunset, and the sun would reflect off the World Trade Center, it would sparkle, and the orange glow would be there. And I just loved that building. 
I just did. It was just spectacular. It was like the epitome of, I live in fucking New York City. It always felt like that when I lived there. Like, I can't believe I live here. This is so exciting. People live their whole lives wondering what it's like to be in this spectacular city. And it is just that spectacular. So I just really loved seeing that building every day. Anyway, so back to September of 2001, I had decided to give Kenny a call and we caught up and, you know, he was telling me about his life and he was telling me about things he never told me and it was just this meaningful conversation and it was almost as if the powers that be, God, the universe, whatever you believe in, knew that that was the last time I was ever going to talk to him. There's no way I knew, and there certainly was no way he knew. And it was just great that we kind of commiserated and talked about our relationship and the stuff that we regretted and where we are now. And I was just, I mean, I, sometimes I think it sounds condescending when you say you're proud of somebody. It's like, oh, I'm above you. I'm looking down on you. But I, it's, I can't, from every fiber of my being, I was so proud of him and he had a new girlfriend in his life and I was a little envious and a little heartbroken about that because I think there was a part of me that thought well maybe but he was happy and I think he was gonna ask this this girlfriend to marry him and I was happy for him he said that she was special and he was special and he deserved someone special and I remember I was late for work because I didn't want to get off the phone with him and I was rushing, but we talked for a while and I thought, wow, I'm going to have this friendship back again. And then two weeks later on Tuesday, September 11th at what, 944, 46, whatever, the plane hit the World Trade Center. And I, I, I memorized the facts and they'll sit with me forever. The first plane hit, like I said, around 940, whatever, 45, 46, and it hit on the 81st floor, which is below Kenny on the 102nd floor. And I know from what his family told me, he was able to make some phone calls and I won't get into too many details because I think that's for them to share, but he didn't die instantly. And uh, I want to share with you how I found out and what I thought and the strangeness of a national tragedy when it's happening to someone you know and the bizarre nature of it all. We're going to do that uh, coming up here after just a quick break. I'll be right back. So before the break, we left off with me discussing September 11th and how I found out about the loss of my dear friend, Kenny, and actually how it all happened. So here it was, September 11th, um, I'm living in Los Angeles, and I think I was scheduled to go to work, 
around 12 or 1 or something. I'm not even sure. Later that afternoon or maybe that evening. So I slept in. And the night before, I had watched HBO, turned off the, you know, the TV and went to sleep. So my television was on HBO. So I wake up the morning of September 11th at 10 a.m., which obviously 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock New York time. Everything's over. Everything is over. People have been killed. The buildings have fallen. It's pretty much, you know, smoldering smoke and chaos. But the main events have already taken place. And I knew nothing. And um, so I wake up around 10. I turn on the news or I turn on the television and it's still on HBO. And I'm thinking, oh, I think I want to watch The View, The View on ABC. So I see the TV playing and it's some movie on HBO. There's nothing. There's no notices, you know, no crawl. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but the little on the news, the little streaming information at the very bottom of the screen, the little tiny words that say like earlier today, you know, in Miami, this regulation was changed, whatever it is, that's called the crawl. And that was not on the news before September 11th. That did not exist in that capacity. It was, you know, technically capable. But when you turn on the news, there was no crawl. Anyway, there was nothing about September 11th. It was just HBO movie. And I look over at my uh, cordless phone. I don't even have a cordless phone anymore. Um, many people probably don't. And it's flashing, meaning I have a voicemail and HBO is still on the TV. I pick up the phone and I'm like, nine missed calls. Usually I would wake up and I would have zero missed calls. I always slept with my ringer off. And maybe my mom would call in the morning. I would have one missed call but not nine. And I was like, what? And so I, I um, was like, what, what does that even mean? Nine missed calls. So I'm holding the phone and I pick up the remote and I change to channel seven before I'm about to listen to the voicemail because I want to see the view. And I see the World Trade Center just crashing in on itself. And right then the voicemail had clicked in and my mom says Jody early this morning I think she said two planes hit the World Trade Center and I just started shaking I I when I first heard about it I thought two planes hit the World Trade Center and they both just crashed in I thought like 50,000 people were dead or something like that everyone died no one got off I thought it was instant you know, the news is replaying it. I can't tell what's happening. My brain is like misfiring. I don't even like, I can't think straight. I I think I need to call her to find out what happened. I don't remember her phone number. I don't remember that it's, all I'd have to do is hit redial. Like that's the thing. If you've ever been in a traumatic situation, your heart starts racing, of course, and your memory goes. Like your thought process is just confusion. And, and so finally I figure out I, I got to call my mom and then we talk and she tells me what happened and I'm like terrorists you know I'm 31 years old and I'm just like what do you mean this is before I even knew that terrorism was like that there was hatred for the United States United States in this capacity you know when I was a kid it was like hijacked planes and things to do with Iran I had never heard of Osama bin Laden I, I mean, yeah, he was a known thing to many, but when you're in Hollywood just trying to pursue your acting career, 
you're not paying attention to that, or at least I wasn't. So I didn't know that people hated us this much. And so then I'm trying to figure out, well, maybe Kenny's okay, maybe he got out. I call his phone number and it says his voicemail. And then I try to call again to call New York and it says, you get that recording, doo doo doo, due to the tornado, all circuits are busy. And that was the outgoing message for calling into New York. It was chaos. I remember I was just hysterical. I called AT&T or Verizon or whoever it was that he had as a carrier. And I was like, I know this sounds crazy. I just want to know if, if a phone explodes, would it still have the voicemail? Like, would that still happen? And remember, cell phones were new. Right now, I know that's an utterly ridiculous thing. But I was out of my mind with grief and fear. And cell phones were still relatively new. And she was so sweet. And she said, yes, unfortunately, if something happens to the phone, the voicemail, you know, would still behave as normal. And then, you know, I just started reaching out to my friends and everybody wanted to talk about, oh my gosh, you won't believe where I was when I heard about it. And this is, can you believe it? And I'm like, this is my life. This is not some crazy traumatic incident that happened to everyone else. This is an incident that happened to everyone else and me. Someone I know is in that building and I don't know if they're dead or alive. And for those of you who were too young to know or don't remember or weren't born or whatever, it was chaos. No one knew who was where. Some people were in hospitals that people thought were dead. Some people were dead who people thought were in the hospital. Some people were it was just you didn't know we didn't know he was dead until we just didn't hear anything until october october so it was like almost i don't know six weeks four weeks it's hard to remember because you just waited and waited and waited and waited and we never heard anything nothing was ever found of his body even to this day you can Google it and see that small pieces, small fragments of humans are still being discovered. And I guess they sift through certain pieces. I don't know the specifics on how it's done, but my friend was not one of them. And I went to his funeral in New York in October. And, you know, we flew into, I think it was, I don't even know if it was JFK or LaGuardia and the the trade center was still smoldering and when you were in manhattan you could still smell like this burning steel smell and it was somber and it was scary and it was like a strange quiet where everyone's heart is broken at once you know we didn't know if there were going to be more terrorist attacks that's when the whole see something say something happened I didn't know if I was risking my life going to his funeral. It's just, you had to just accept that that was a possibility. And it was so horrible. It really took years to get over that. And I'm not even joking. I had, before that, my father had died. And obviously, it. my dad died of an illness where... I knew he was sickly 
and I didn't expect him to die. So it was still a shock. And I was 24 years old. And so that was devastating. But in the order of life, you expect your parents to die before you. You know, we're born and we grow up and live our lives expecting that. We don't know when it's going to happen. God help you if you're only 24 like I was and I had to plan my dad's funeral, which was so overwhelming. But this on September 11th, having someone so important to your life who just came back into your life was devastating. It's awful to lose someone your own age. And as I said, it took a long time to get over and I just felt so pained for his family and his friends because this guy was special. Some people you're like, I loved them. They were good people. I'm sorry they're gone. This guy was special. He just was one of those people that was a connector and brought people together. And I said, you know, he was a comedian and he made people laugh. He was a great human being. And so when I think about him and other relatives that have died, the idea that people say passed away or, you know, when I've had relatives that died, people, you know, I've had friends or more so associates or, you know, friends who aren't as close who, you know, call months later and say, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't call you because I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to disturb you or bring it up. And that's the thing. It's like most of the time other people don't want to talk about death. It's not that they don't want to talk about it with you or, you know, dig into your pain. It's that they don't know what to say or they don't want to say anything because it's uncomfortable for them. And that's okay. But I think when it comes to death, we need to be able to be in a place as human beings of acceptance that we are all going to die, that it's not ugly and disgusting and gross. I mean, emotionally, yes, but that we can be in a place where you can talk to me about death. You can call me and say, how are you doing? How did you feel? And if I don't want to talk about it, I can say, you know, I don't want to talk about it. You don't have to be afraid. It's not a faux pas if you call somebody and ask, how are you really doing? It feels like oftentimes people are like, well, don't ask her, you know, don't bring it up. I went back to work after my brother died years later and I could tell people were tiptoeing around me and they're like, should we, we just didn't know if we should say anything. And I get it. Some people will just bite your head off. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not that person because I believe the way I've adjusted, I've healed, I've moved forward after so many deaths in my life. The main three being shocking, my brother, Kenny, and my dad, all unexpected deaths. I mean, when you lose your brother, it's also a young person who you didn't expect to die. He was 40, so early, also died of an illness. So I think that the way that we heal with death and we don't get stuck because I have friends in my life. There's two people that I'm thinking of that 
had major deaths strike in their life that were expected, which doesn't necessarily make it easier, but it just makes it expected, I guess. And decades have gone by and they're not over it. And they are just still sort of reeling in, stuck in this reliving place. And life is too short and too beautiful to do that. In my opinion, I think we need to be able to discuss it with people who matter to us. I think that if you have a friend that reaches out to you, open up and say, I am hurting. The idea that we all always have to be fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. What's going on? I've just been busy. Keeping busy. You know, not thinking about it. It's going to be there. But if you sort of accept that there's pain and suffering and grief, and grief is cunning, you'll think you're sort of okay and you're like, I'm getting on with my life, and then it'll sneak up on you and hit you again. But if you understand that that's going to happen, then you start to realize it's like, kind of like, okay, it'll hit you maybe the first three days, and then the first month, and then several months. And the distance between the sort of outburst of pain just gets greater till, you know, eventually you realize you're not crying as much and it's not overwhelming your life as much, that you can think about and remember this person and just not be devastated, and that you can come on to a podcast and talk about it. I think that I'm able to deal with death because of that, that I can say, you know, Kenny was murdered, he was killed, he did not pass, because it's the truth. But I can talk about these things without being devastated and breaking up and say, let me, give me a moment, I got to cut off the podcast because I've dealt with these things. And I'm in a place where if somebody I know is suffering from grief, if they want to talk about it, I can listen and I can forget about my own discomfort, if any, and be there for them. And I think that's important. I don't claim to be an expert. I'm not a grief counselor. I just noticed that, especially now, like with COVID, you know, there's people, people who have died and I am lucky enough that I don't know anybody personally who has died, but I know people who know people and I've reached out to them and I said, talk to me, tell me about your friend. I had another friend who said, oh, I don't ever ask. I don't want to be impolite. I don't want to be rude. And I hope someday it won't be seen as rude. It'll be just as good to say when a baby is born, oh my gosh, how is that? That's beautiful, how are you doing? A new life. That maybe the same will be when somebody passes on, dies, however you wanna refer to it, that's your choice. But that we celebrate and honor their life and we accept the pain and the grief of their loss and that we can talk about it. I think that's where the strength is. That's where the power is. Kenny would not want me to be miserable for the rest of my life. The terrorists win that way. I'll be damned if Osama bin Laden is gonna control my life or Mohammed Atta 
He was the terrorist who drove that specific plane into the North Tower and killed my friend. I refuse to let him control my life. And if I sit in a pain and I don't want to talk about it and I feel uncomfortable and I take it 20 years later to a place where it eats me up, gives me an ulcer, who wins? The terrorists do. Same with my dad and my brother. They are my family. You know, my dad was my blood. My brother was adopted, but he was like blood. He was adopted into our family before I was born, you know, a year before I was born, basically. So to me, he was like blood. And I know neither one of them would want me to suffer because they died. They want me to have the best life. Everyone who has died does not want us to suffer. And whatever you believe happens after life is over, whether you believe heaven, which I do, or you believe you're reincarnated into a bird or a king or something totally different, I don't know, a worm, a, a koala bear, something cute, or if you believe life stops and that's it for you, those people aren't suffering. I believe in heaven. I believe that my deceased relatives and friends are no longer suffering. They're in a place of love and happiness. So the only one who suffers is me because I miss them. But I don't let it ruin my life. And the way that I don't let it ruin my life is I talk about it. And I'm okay talking about it. And I think there's something to be said for that. You know, we live in a society right now where if you say, I'm emotional, it's seen as a weakness. But if you're stoic, that's like strong and powerful. Well, I disagree. I believe there's power in being emotional. So what if you cry? So what if you're sad? So what? If it rules and ruins your life, that's a different story. But if you find strength in commiserating with a friend, if you're there for your friends, that's where the power is. So I think when it comes to death, we need to consider talking about it. Funerals, go to funerals, feel that grief, and then get on with your life at your own pace. I know so many people go, oh, oh, oh I hate funerals, I don't wanna go. I think there's a beauty in collective grief. We are all together and supporting each other over the love and care that we had for this deceased person. That's a beautiful thing, in my opinion. There's people who say, I, I just didn't wanna see the dead body. To me, when I saw my brother's dead body, and I'll be honest with you, it was waxy. I think that's what dead bodies look like. They, you know, their mouths are glued shut and it's almost like they make this face that isn't natural. There's no essence of them left in this vessel. So I wanted to see the end stage. I wanted to see his final resting place. I don't think death is disgusting. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end of our life. And life is beautiful. Life is precious. And the vessel, our bodies that we live in, temporary. So 
that's why I don't think it's depressing. And I, I don't, if you are choked up or sad or maybe even crying listening, listening to this, that's okay. If you turned it off, then you're not, <laughs> you're not listening to this because you're like, I don't want to hear this right now. Then so be it. But it's important to find our way in this life. I think we're here to connect with each other not to hide from our feelings and emotions about anything, let alone death. And to me, talking about this isn't depressing. People dying is depressing, but 20 years later, if I can reach out and touch or help one listener, just one of you, let alone many, then that's an incredible thing. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I've been sort of compelled is because I want to touch people. I want to connect with people. I want to share stories. This is how we as human beings connect with each other. If I give you surface, yeah, you know, my friend died. It was really sad. Then what do you learn about me? And what do you learn about yourself or Kenny? Nothing. But if I tell you, I was shaking and I couldn't remember. You understand a little bit more about who I am. If I tell you that he was really, really funny, if I tell you that he was smart and good and kind and decent and they never found a morsel of his body, you get it. And that is meaningful. And for me, life is about the connection, is about having meaningful experiences. We're only here once, as far as we know, and I want to drink from the cup of life. I want to touch and feel and experience as much as I can. And if I'm lucky, I'll get to do it for as long as possible. And that's why it's not depressing to me. So if you guys have questions, you can always reach out to me on Big Time Small Talk Podcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, you can please, please, please click subscribe to get the notifications of when the next episodes are out. If you want to reach out through social media, on Twitter, at Jody's Box, J-O-D-I-S-B-O-X. On Facebook, Big Time Small Talk Podcast. And on Instagram, my name, Jody Rollins. R-O-L-L-I-N-S. Looks like Rollins, but it is Rollins. But I'd love to hear from you. I'm hoping... Um, to do a little question and answer session at the end of each show. So if you guys have any kind of questions, please send them to the email. You can also do through the Anchor app, ask questions that way and leave a voicemail. If you do leave the voicemail, I will definitely, definitely respond to your question on the show and we'll play your voicemail. So you'll get to be a star on the show. If you feel uncomfortable, just do the written word and we will go from there.
So the podcast is available on Spotify, on Breaker, on Anchor, and it is coming soon to Google Play and Apple iTunes. Maybe it is there already by the time you're listening there. It's going to be available everywhere. I can make it available. We will be back right after this break for some closing words. So we have just a couple more minutes or so before the end of the show. And once again, thank you guys for clicking in, for listening, for tuning in, for taking time out of your busy day. I hope that you're able to listen in your car, on a walk, doing the dishes, at work, whatever it is, studying if you're a student, just chillaxing, and that these are topics that you want to hear about. I think... As the title says, big time, small talk, a deep dive into surface conversations. That's what we're doing. You know, it's very easy to skim over. Yes, I lost somebody in the World Trade Center. It was very sad. And then move on after one sentence. I'm so sorry for your loss. But today we deep dove into the story of it. And I want to dedicate this show to the memory of Kenny and to his family and to the life that he lived. He was extraordinary. He was fun. I want to celebrate who he was. And I want to dedicate this show to every firefighter, every first responder, police officer, neighbor, friend, mother, father, son, daughter, cousin, niece, nephew, anyone who died on that day, pilots, flight attendants, travelers, anyone. I dedicate this show to you and to your family and to your friends because sometimes friends are like family. Kenny was not my family, but he was definitely my family. So in your honor, this show is for you. I hope I do you justice, even if I have never met you, never met you. So, and I think, you know, when it comes to moving on, that's the best that we can do is to just live life to the fullest whatever it is that we're doing um i personally every day think about the people that i've lost or i think about my friends who have touched me who are still alive and my family they're everything and i think how i can support them and help them because we don't know when our friends and family will be taken from us. So hug and kiss your loved ones and give them an extra squeeze and appreciate them, right? And live your life. COVID-19, it is some strange times right now. I think there's a whole show. Or it, it is some strange times, that's not very good English. These are some strange times. It is a strange time, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. If you like the show, please click the five stars, tell at least one person about the show, share it with two if you can, and keep uh, listening. So thanks so much. I appreciate it. And that's all I have to say. Bye-bye. <laughs>